You say you like Oreos, but have you ever tried a Hydrox cookie? Or maybe it's been a really long time since you've had one? Well, you're in luck. We're having another Hydrox Oreo face-off, basically a taste test, at a live podcast event with the People's History of Kansas City. This cookie has Kansas City roots, and we're going to tell you all about it. Join me, Suzanne Hogan, on March 29th at Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company in the Crossroads. Visit kcur.org cookies for tickets. Up to date wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. I'm Steve Kraske. The Secretary of the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development was in Kansas City over the weekend touring Congressman Emanuel Cleaver's 5th District. A former mayor and congresswoman, Secretary Marsha Fudge knows something about the need for affordable housing and the challenges of dealing with houselessness. Secretary Fudge and Congressman Cleaver joined me on Sunday afternoon after she had visited St. James United Methodist Church that the congressman led for so many years. Secretary Fudge, welcome to Up to Date. So good to have you with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you today. And Congressman Cleaver, always good to have you on the show as well. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Secretary Fudge, the Biden administration has worked to increase the number of housing vouchers for low-income Americans by more than 100,000. Here in Kansas City, the city council is poised this month to vote on a new ordinance that would stop landlords from refusing to accept federal housing vouchers or rejecting potential renters solely based on their criminal background. What do you make of that? Is the city heading in the right direction? No doubt about it. Let me just be clear. Source of income discrimination is against the law. So I'm so happy that they're going to pass an ordinance so that it becomes very, very clear. It is discrimination, no matter how you frame it. It is still discrimination because primarily it hits poor black and brown people. So it is not only income discrimination, but it is racial discrimination as well. So they are on the right track. But as you know, lots of landlords in Kansas City simply don't accept vouchers. So this will be a seismic change in Kansas City's uh, housing history. Uh, How big of a change will it be for us in in your view? It's a major change. When you think about the fact that we are on the low end, 1.5 million units of housing short of where we need to be to on the high end, the estimate is almost 4 million. We need every single person in every single community to be a part of the solution. And the only way we can do that is to make sure that we can broaden the base of people who are uh, who are renting to our voucher holders. So it's it's a sea change, quite frankly. Well, what's holding back this sort of uh, interest by developers and and uh, convincing them to go ahead and rent to people who might be paying their income with a voucher? What's the holdup if it's against the law anyway? I think it's two things. One is because there's such a demand for housing today. They can get so much more on the on the market. They raise the prices because there is certainly a short supply of affordable homes. And so they just jack the, the prices of housing and rental housing higher and higher and higher. That's one thing. But the other thing is there is this belief that people who are on vouchers or on Social Security uh, are not as uh, as are not good tenants. There's this thought process that is just a bias that is built into the system, people believe that they're not good tenants. 
Congressman Cleaver, you're sponsoring a bill that would do much the same thing that the city council is looking at. Tell us about that and where does your legislation stand? Well, we, Congressman Luchtemeyer from Missouri and I have, have worked quite well together over a number of years trying to do programs, uh, create programs that would be used to increase the economic viability of the housing voucher system. So we have introduced a bill that would improve the, the ability of house choice vouchers, those who hold those vouchers to access, access uh, safe and uh, decent affordable housing. And so the, the, if I can just quickly say, that the legislation would do a couple of things that are important. This le- legislation would, would involve like uh, greater protections against tenant damages, financial uh, incentives to uh, partner with the federal government and resources for public housing authorities, which uh, dedicated landlord liaisons, uh, people who will work with the, the tenants. And then we, we really have to set uh, rents with better data. The current system for HUD is generally determined by a formula, broad formula that considers rent prices over an entire metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. And, and if you do that, it's, it's going to lead to less accurate subsidies, and it will be much higher in terms of costs for families. And so we require HUD to select additional metropolitan areas to use the, the more granular, small area, fair market rents. I think I have that right which sets standards based on zip codes. And then there are some other components. We modernize HUD's uh, evaluation of public housing agencies. It would require HUD to reform and modernize its annual evaluation of of PHAs. I lived in public housing. I know the problems that exist there. And I'm so grateful and thankful that uh, Secretary HUD is in support of these kinds of, of efforts. And hopefully we'll get a hearing shortly. Congressman, what do you make of what the city council is doing to stop landlords from refusing to accept federal housing vouchers as monthly payment? Well, the only thing I, I think we can do is, in the federal government is put in place incentives out there for potential landlords to participate in our program. And, you know, we have to look at the reality that there are a lot of people who don't want to rent to low-income and poor people. I don't particularly like that since I have been one of them. But I think, you know, the uh, low-income renters' budgets are disproportionately uh, affected by the skyrocketing rents. And so what we have to do is entice them, induce them to to want to rent to poor people. And the only way we're going to do it, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, is to have financial incentives mm-hmm. for them to do so. Secretary Fudge, you said something interesting in a recent MSNBC interview. You pointed out that in this country today, retirement security is an entitlement. So is health care, at least for some Americans. But housing remains in a different category. It remains discretionary, you pointed out. Funding for it relies on the annual whims of Congress. How important is it, in your view, to change that? And what impact would it have if you managed to pull that off? Not very long ago, in the last 10, 15 years, housing, HUD's budget, made up 7% of the federal discretionary budget of of the United States. Today, it's 1%. The change is so significant when you think about the fact that we have almost 2 million uh, units of public housing in this country. Most of it's 60 years old or more. We are not allowed to build new public housing, even though we need it desperately. We have to do, oh, if you tear down one, you can build one. They need to start to look at housing as if it is just as important as the other entitlements in this country, because I do believe it should be one. And until we look at it that way, 
we're always going to think of it as something that we don't have to do because it's discretionary. What's it the, needs to be on what, the mandatory budget. What's stopping the federal government from building new new low-income housing or at least helping with that? Well, no, we can help with low-income housing. We just can't help with public housing. Hmm. There is a law that says that we can if we can only build a new unit of public housing if we tear down one. So it's a one-for-one. One. We cannot increase the total number of public housing in this country. It is by law. Uh, we do assist with helping developers do mm-hmm. low-income and right. moderate-income housing. But, through but, housing tax credits and other things. Excuse me, Madam Secretary. Uh, Steve, I, I need to say that, that the one-for-one replacement issue is very, very serious. I was uh, around on the committee when Katrina hit. Maxine Waters, our, our chair at the time, she was a ranking member. And we went down into Mississippi and in Louisiana, and we saw the devastation. There were public housing units that should have been torn down, and we should have torn down a whole, a, a whole development, frankly, the water was up to the second floor in a lot of those buildings, but we couldn't. So we had to go in and repair because you can only, as the secretary was saying, one for one replacement. That's it. It's a law and it's a horrible law. You know, I think it's also important for the listeners to realize that the president's budget has included almost $74 billion, which I think it would be critically helpful in dealing with the problems we face, except that we have some opposition, significant opposition. I don't think people realize it is preventing us from getting the money we need to do the housing that requires some assistance in redeveloping. Congressman, this provision that stops you from adding new additional public housing, you say it's the law and it prevents you. Why don't you change the law? What's what's stopping that from happening? Congress. Well, it has to be changed by the Congress. It's not like we can change it in, in our committee. You know, there was an amendment passed some years ago that was approved. And uh, that amendment is what we are living with today. As chair of our committee, the last term, housing and insurance, I had a field hearing in New York City. It was unbelievable. They have over 300,000 public housing units, all of which, every last one of them, probably is inadequate Hmm. and need to be torn down. The one-for-one replacement is preventing us from doing that, and I don't think we have any help from the speaker uh, in trying to erase that law. You know, Madam Secretary, let's talk a little bit about what the federal government is doing to help in the development of more low-income housing. We always hear in Kansas City here, and I assume it's this way across the country, that developers aren't inclined to build more affordable housing because they make so much more money building housing for the better off. What is the Biden administration doing to change that and to build more low-income housing? There are three things that developers ask me all the time. More project-based vouchers more vouchers, period. Uh, They ask for more financing assistance and they ask for more help from the federal government. So what we are doing is we have increased the low-income housing tax credit caps, as well as the percentages that we are giving to people to assist. We have put more money into the housing uh, trust fund for the low-income builders. We have created other incentives so that it becomes profitable for them to build low-income housing. We are working with local governments to change some of the zoning so that they can make the cost of some of this housing less because they don't have to deal with all of the regulations that are not necessary. Uh, But the other thing is we've done is we're putting more money into community development block grants. We're putting more money into home. As I sit in this office uh, of the representative, next door there is a building that is moderate income that through home dollars 
they put a half a million dollars in it just to assist. We are doing many, many things. We are empowering uh, state housing finance agencies. We are empowering our home loan banks to do more. We are pushing and pushing and pushing every single way we know how. And it is working. I mean, there are right now in this country, almost 2 million units of housing that are either being built or restored because of the things that we're doing to assist. We'll be right back. Oreo is the most famous cookie in the world, but few people remember the product that it blatantly ripped off, a creation of Jacob Luce in Kansas City. Not only was Oreo this copycat of Hydrox, it was also built on the back of the company that Jacob had founded himself. How Kansas City started the cookie wars. Hear the whole story on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. The administration, uh, Madam Secretary, is also setting aside billions to deal with homelessness. Yet based on one count, homelessness continues to increase up 12 percent in January 2023, one year ago compared to the year before. Why hasn't all that money put more of a dent in the problem? Well, let me just suggest two things. When you talk about resources for the unhoused, yes, we have spent billions. But what people forget is when the resources that we put into the Affordable Care Act and when we that we put into uh, our ARP funds, once those funds started to, to uh, sunset, people were in the same position they were in prior to the pandemic. So when you take away rental assistance, when you take away uh, the forbearance and foreclosure, when you take away the child tax credits, when you take away all of the things that kept them afloat during the pandemic, it has come all crashing down. There are no more of these emergency vouchers. There are no more, um, as I said, tax credit resources. And so what we are finding is that those people who were already on the edge have now fallen over the edge because the resources are no longer there. That's why you see the numbers going up. Hmm. The other reason you see it going up is that people cannot afford rent. When you consider the fact that large portions, almost 25% of all the people now who are becoming first-time homeless are senior citizens because they can no longer afford on their fixed income, generally Social Security, they can't afford the high uh, rates. They just can't, they, and they have nowhere to go. So that's part of the problem. The biggest problem is that the federal government has withdrawn all of its support for people who need these resources. Huh. Congressman Cleaver, like any major American city, uh, houselessness is a big issue here in Kansas City. I don't need to tell you that. How satisfied are you with the city's efforts to deal with it? And what more needs to be done? What more can you do to help? Well, uh, I told uh, the mayor and members of city council a few months ago that their community development block grant has increased every year uh, over the last three years. And those are the most flexible federal dollars that can be used for anything. And uh, and so uh, hopefully those dollars are going to be used more and more for, you know, some kind of uh, support for housing. We have a, had a major problem with Parade Park, over 500 units. Uh, I was able to get, to get the secretary by there uh, about seven or eight months ago, maybe a, a little longer than that. Uh, she was limited with the money she could spend, but I, I thank her as, as do the uh, residents that she came right in and spent several million dollars getting Parade Park at least 
in a condition that uh, hopefully a developer will come forth to improve. But I need to also say that, you know, as, as housing uh, affordability continues to worsen, uh, we're going to have more homelessness. And the GAO uh, finds that homelessness uh, increases by 9% with every $100 increase in rent. That is devastating. So you, you can have a job working 40 hours a week and still not be able to afford uh, housing right now in the Midwest in Kansas City. Secretary Fudge, buying a first home has become a huge challenge for so many Americans, including those here in Kansas City. But you point out that the government helped 600,000 Americans buy their first homes in recent uh, months, despite the huge rise in the cost of so many of those homes. What's the government doing to help that get done? I think it's, it's important to understand that when times get really, really tough, the federal government really becomes the, the place of last resort. And so people who would under normal circumstances be able to afford conventional loans in these kinds of in this kind of an economy they cannot so they come to FHA or they come to Freddie or Fannie what, whatever the case may be but one of the things we've done three things that I think have been significant one is we are working with down payment assistance we know that people who pay their rent on a timely basis can generally afford a mortgage but they don't have the upfront resources so we have worked with ways to present for them uh, down payment assistance plans so they can really pay back those resources on the back end of a mortgage. We're making mortgages longer for those who are already in their homes. We're looking at underwriting changes as we talk about things like student loan debt. Before we came into office, if you had any significant student loan debt, FHA would say that you were not credit worthy. Hmm. We have changed the way that we calculate student loan debt. So now that people who have a reasonable amount of student loan debt find themselves credit worthy, we are doing housing counseling in huge numbers. We have about 1,500 housing counselors across the country to get people prepared and to have them understand. And then lastly, we are using positive rental history as credit. Many people, first-time home buyers in particular, come to us with what we consider to no credit. But now if they have a positive rental history for a year, we consider that credit. And I'm so glad you brought it up because over the last three years, we have provided one and a half million first-time home buyers hmm. mortgage support. One and a half million. Well, despite all that, you've also said that the gap between black and white home ownership is as big or bigger than it was even in back in 1968 when Congress passed the fair housing law. I'm wondering why. How, how has that happened? Some of it is, of course, conventional lending, which has become more and more difficult. But more than anything else, it's the same old problem. It is redlining. It is discrimination. People still think about it this way. If I walk into a community here in Kansas City and I can buy a home for, let's say, $100,000, $150,000, most banks will not lend me that money because they don't see it as a good investment and they don't see that it's cost worthy for them to do it. So communities where people could afford to buy homes, primarily low income or black and brown communities, they banks will not lend us money. Hmm. So it goes back to the old redlining. Or we find ourselves with positions where communities valuation goes down the, the more black and brown communities are. So we have lots of issues that create that problem, but we are trying to address them every single day by enforcing the fair housing laws to the best of our ability. And looking at discrimination in the appraisal market, which is a huge part of why people sometimes can't get into homes. 
We're going to have to leave it there. That's Marsha Fudge. She's secretary of the Federal Housing and Urban Development uh, Department. Congressman Emanuel Cleaver from Missouri's 5th District also joined us. Thank you both for taking some time on a very chilly day to talk up to date. Appreciate you both. Thank you. Good to be with you. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Paul Nakatura is our announcer and engineer. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening.